want to say thank you also for your incredible response. Yeah. And I'm not surprised at all because uh, this is how we respond at Hope Community Church. By the way, since we filmed that a couple of days ago, uh, our giving has for the, for, the, for the disaster relief has grown from 108,000 to 147,000. It grew about another $40,000 in a couple of days, and I think it'll continue to go up. Uh, just a reminder, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna continue to be taking in supplies. We have already sent down east, and now we're partnering with several churches there. We have already uh, sent down over 20 tons of supplies, and uh, we'll be sending more trucks this week. By the way, last week I mentioned uh, the importance of not just giving out of emotion or when there's a need, but we give consistently, we give regularly, and why we need you to get on board. And one of the reasons is because by this time next year, we are hoping to launch a brand new Hope Campus in another one of our communities. And one of the reasons this is so important is because <clears throat> this is allows us to build our base, to expand our base, to lead more people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to make disciples who can make disciples. And as we grow, the more people we get on mission, I'll be honest with you, the church is size of hope, we ought to be able to raise easily $150,000, $200,000 above our giving on a regular basis because there are so many of us. And as we continue to build our base, expand our base, we're even better equipped to make a bigger difference in the triangle and to continue to impact the world. And there are several things that go into consideration when we're going to launch a campus uh, where we have people that are already there. Uh, money, it costs about a million dollars to launch a campus, just to be honest with you. We take into account uh, where we can find a facility. That's a big part of it. And so we don't want to say exactly where we are going to be. But let me tell you something. God has a sense of humor because one of the places that we're considering is Fuquay Verena. Okay. Now, let me just tell you something. Just so you know, <laughs> I am secretly pulling for Fuquay Verena. Let me tell you why. Because over the past few weeks, Laura and I, we decided we were going to sell our house in Disney World. I mean, 12 Oaks in Holly Springs, where we live. And we are moving. We have signed a contract. We are building a house in Fuquay Verena. I cannot wait to get my first goat. And we're going we're, we're gonna to move to where the salt of the earth people are. We're going to get out of Holly Springs where kids take golf carts to the bus stop. We're going to move to a land where the kids walk and take the bus to school. You know what I'm talking about? Not where three-year-olds are getting golf lessons, but they're milking the cows and priming tobacco. You know what I'm talking about? So we're excited about it. So give, pray. We will have the campus in the right place, and we're excited to see what God is going to do. Now, this is the third week of our series, Your Choice, Your Voice. Uh, we're talking about the power of our words, the impact that they have our, on our lives the impact that our words, what we say, have on our relationships. We're going to see this weekend, James says, what we say actually shapes the course, the direction of our lives. And I think we've all found ourselves in situations, we can all remember a time when we said things, and even while we were saying them, we were wishing we weren't saying them. Have you ever said something and it's almost like you can see the words coming out of your mouth in slow motion, and you wish you could just stop what you had just said because you know it didn't come out the way you meant it to come out, or you know that it's going to do damage. I remember a few years ago, a lot of years ago, actually, the church was only about 200 people. Uh, we were in the fire trap over on Chapel Hill Road, and I just had a great friend there. His name was Lee. Uh, Lee was in charge of uh, the ROTC, Air Force ROTC at the University of North Carolina. And even though he was a Tar Heel, we were like best friends. And I mean, we just had this incredible bonding, this incredible relationship. And I remember one Friday we played golf, and then on Sunday, you know, in those days, I knew everybody. I knew their kids. I knew their cat's name. I knew everybody because the church was so small. And, and Lee came walking in, and I noticed he was limping. 
And, I, you know, we, we were kind of like, we always rag on each other. I'm like, you sissy, why are you limping, you know? He said, man, I don't know. I must have turned my ankle or something while we were playing golf. I don't, I don't remember. But he said, man, just my leg, my ankle is so sore. By Tuesday, his wife called me, and he was in the emergency room at UNC Hospital. By Wednesday, he was diagnosed with a massive tumor on his spine that was so interwrapped and interwoven, there was nothing they could do about it. Within 12 weeks, we lost him. And I'll never forget, because especially toward the end, when we knew it was going to be the end, I was, I was just there at the hospital with him almost around the clock, and his wife, her name was Joe. And I'll never forget one night, we had just been there and been there and been there, and by this point, he was on the morphine, and you know what it's like if you've ever been, been around people, you've had loved ones in that situation. And she said, Mike, you've got to be exhausted. Why don't you go home, get some sleep, I'll call you if anything changes, and you can get back over here. So I went home, and sure enough, early the next morning before it was even, the sun was even up, she called and she said, Mike, I think it's about time. You, you, you probably want to try to get over here. And I got up, and Laura got up with me. We jumped in the car, and we took all the back roads. We got the UNC hospital, and by the time we got there, God had taken him home. And his kids were there, and Joe was there, and it was just an incredible time of emotion. And, and you know, I, I'm around these situations a lot. I deal with these things a lot. Laura's not around these situations as much as I am. And I'll never forget, because Laura, she hugged Joe, and I was standing behind Joe so I could see Laura's face. She put her arms around Joe, and she hugged Joe, and she said, you know we're going to miss him. And this is what Laura said, we loved him to death. And when she said it, I saw her eyes like, why did I say that? You ever done something like that? You just say something, and, and, and we've, all, you know, we've all experienced the futility of saying, hey, I didn't mean that the way it sounded, but you know, no one's ever responded. Oh, if you didn't mean it the way it sounded, I guess it's okay, right? We, see, the damage is done, and those are some of our most embarrassing, those are some of our most painful moments, and it's because good or bad, I'm telling you, words are powerful things. As we've seen in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. But James tells us this week, they actually shape the direction, the course of our lives, and we know it's true. I mean, think about it. For most of us, our self-esteem was shaped by the words of our parents. As parents, we're shaping the self-esteem of our kids with just our words. Our confidence at work is often shaped by the words of our bosses. And it's because words are powerful things. Life and death, they shape the course of our lives. Maybe somebody invited you to do something. And you said yes when you should have said no. Maybe someone invited you to a party, and looking back, you said yes, but you should have said no. Or maybe somebody said, just try it just one time, and you said yes when you should have said no, and that event shaped your life in a negative way. Maybe a friend said something out of anger, or maybe you said something out of anger to a friend, and just in that exchange, you ended, you destroyed, you killed a friendship. Life and death is in the tongue, what we say. But you know, at the same time, some of our greatest joys in life if you think about it, revolve around words. I mean, can you remember the first time someone said to you, I love you, how that made you feel? Or when your husband said, will you marry me? Do you remember that? Or men, maybe you came home from work one day and you could just see your wife was glowing and she said, I'm pregnant. And you can remember how that made you feel. But see, if she just said, I'm pregnant, but it's not yours. See, a whole different set of emotions, right? Because see, words are powerful things. We, we know that. Well, this weekend, we're going to look at a passage in the book of James. He talks about the power of our words. James chapter 3, very familiar passage. If you have your Bible turned there, if not, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. You can always download the Get Hope app. The verses will be there. As far as I know, this is the longest discourse in the Bible on our words. 
and the power of the words that come out of our mouth. And if you've read it before, James talks about the tongue. But he's really talking about our words, right? And he's really, really tough on the tongue. But it's okay because it can take a licking. Okay, that's as funny as it's going to get, okay? The tongue can take a licking. Now, James, if you go to James chapter 3, he begins by giving a warning to teachers. By the way, this is the James that is the half-brother of Jesus. Remember, Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, right? But then Joseph and Mary had children. I, know, I don't know why Catholics don't think Mary had kids. All they got to try reading the Bible. I mean, it's right there. And James is actually one of the half-brothers of Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He grew up in the house with Jesus. How would you like to have a brother who never left his dirty socks on the floor? Who always spoke to mom and dad nicely, right? You would, as of course, would you believe that your brother was the son of God? I doubt it. So James never really bought in until his brother died on a cross and three days later rose from the dead. And James is like, yeah, I'm not stupid. I want to be on his team. And he then became a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he writes this letter. And this is what he says, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so James says this, listen. If you're striving to be a teacher, if you want to be a teacher, you need to understand that you are going to be held accountable for what comes out of your mouth. You need to know that you're going to be held to a higher standard. That means pretty much every time I teach, somehow God is taking notes and he's going to hold me accountable. This is scary for every word that comes out of my mouth. And even now I ask for your prayers so that there will be mercy on the day of judgment, right? But then he says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And so James, he makes this amazing statement, and he basically says this. Let's be honest. We all have an Achilles heel. We all blow it in all kinds of ways. We stumble in what we do. We stumble in where we go. We stumble in what we watch and what we see. But James says, if you could just restrain and control your words, you've pretty much arrived. In other words, if you can control what comes out of your mouth, you're as perfect as you are ever going to get in this life. Because according to James, our words are the most difficult things in the world for us to be able to keep under control. He continues in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when I was a teenager, not into college... I love to ride horses. My parents are here in this service. They will tell you, I love to ride horses. And I pretty much dated girls based on whether or not they had a horse. I didn't really care what they looked like. I was more interested in what their horse looked like. You see, we grew up poor in East Durham. We couldn't afford a house, a horse. We didn't get to live out in the places where you could have a horse. So I would date girls, and I would ride their horses. And I tell you, one girl in particular, she had a horse it was beautiful, not the girl, the horse. And its name, its name was General. And I rode General on a regular, in fact, riding General was about a 50-50 proposition because whenever I went out there, you never knew if you were actually going to catch him or not. He was that kind of horse. I mean, you may kind of corner him in one end of the pasture and he would take off in a full sprint to the other end and you'd get down there and maybe he'd run back somewhere else. And sometimes you could corner him. Sometimes if he was hungry, you have a little bit of grain, you could get him. But it was about a 50-50 proposition. But I'll never forget, one time I finally got him and you couldn't just ride General. You had to take him into the ring. You had to work him for a little bit, work up a sweat. And then I remember I took him to the barn. 
put, hooked him up, tied him up to the hitching post, got the, got the blanket on okay, got the saddle on, got it cinched up okay. But when I came over, and I was trying to hide the bridle in the bit, the minute he saw it, he just reared up, and he snatched off that hitching post. And he started pulling it, and I'm dragging, I might have my boots in the ground. Finally, I got him, you know, I got him back tied up, and I got that bit in his mouth. And when you got on general, you didn't just ride general. You knew he was going to dance a little to the right, he was going to dance a little to the left, he was going to back up, talking like a cheerleader, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, he would, he maybe buck up a little bit, but eventually you get him under control, and with that little bit in his mouth, you could control that horse. That's what James is saying here. If you can just control the mouth of a horse, you can control the entire horse. And then he says in verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Ever been on a cruise ship? I mean, it's ridiculous. Over a thousand feet long, hundreds of tons, but no matter how huge the ship is, it's a very small rudder, rudder, at least in comparison to the size of the ship, that controls the course of that ship. So James says, likewise, just like the bit in the horse of a mouth, just like the rudder on a large ship, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And when James says it makes great boasts, he's basically saying this, it's small, but man, it has incredible potential. Our words have incredible potential. Potential. In fact, I made a list of some things that our words have the potential to do. Our words get us our jobs. Our words get us our spouses. Our words get us our dates. Our words get us our friendships. Our words determine how successful we're going to be in our career. Our words determine how effective we'll be as a communicator. Are we going to be a good teacher? Are we going to be a good salesperson? Our words can get us out of a ticket. Our words can land us in jail. Our words can get us a college scholarship. Our words can get us expelled from school. And I could go on and on and on, but the course of our lives is determined in great part just by our words. And I think that what James is saying here is this. Listen, James says, if you don't do anything else I say, in other words, he's writing this letter. If you don't do anything else I say, if you could just control your mouth. If you could just control your words, you're going to be in pretty good shape because your career, your family, your marriage, your relationships, they're all shaped by your words. And if you could just get control of your words, your life would be so much better. Your life's going to be so much easier, and it's because our words determine they shape the course of our lives. Now, I think everything that James has set up to this point is just introduction. But then he gets to the heart of what he really wants to talk about and he wants us to know that not only do our words shape the course of our lives, our words have the potential. Our words have the power to shape and direct the course of other people's lives as well. In fact, potentially, James says, you know what? Every one of us, we walk around with a flamethrower in our mouth everywhere we go. Look at what he says in verse 5. Consider what a great forest, we talked about this last week, is set on fire by a small spark. James says one match, one spark could burn down this entire building. One match could burn down this entire city. One match can burn down an entire forest. One match can do unbelievable damage to any environment that you bring it into. We lived in the Bay Area before we located here to start Hope Community Church, and I'll never forget the Oakland Hill fire. You could see it at night. You could just see the hills glowing. 25 people died. 150 people were injured. Over 4,000 residences were destroyed. 
James says that's the potential of one match. That's the potential of one spark. And so he says in verse 6, the tongue, having used this analogy, also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. See that little phrase, a world of evil? It means there is no evil in this world that cannot be initiated by words. And that's true. You ever listen to some of the recordings, watch some of the videos of Adolf Hitler? Wars have been initiated by words. Murders have been initiated by words. Divorces have been initiated by words. All kinds of destruction and chaos have been initiated just by words. And James says, in the same way, there is no limit to the hurt. There is no limit to the destruction that can be initiated by our words. I mean, think about this. Here we are in church. You can destroy your whole family on the way home from church this weekend just with your words. You can walk into work on Monday, and by just unleashing the wrong words, you can end up being escorted out by security. By noon, your career would be shot. By 3 o'clock, nobody in the industry would ever hire you again just by using words. We've seen it in the media this week. So your reputation can be destroyed by words. No proof, just words. I can destroy your reputation just with words. You can destroy my reputation just with words. You can destroy the reputation of this church just with your words. James says the negative potential of our words is limitless. It is a world of evil. But you already know that, don't you? I mean, some of you burnt down an entire marriage with just your words. Some of you burnt down the relationship with your kids with just your words. Some of you burnt down your career with your words. Some of you burnt down a number of relationships and friendships with your words. Some of you destroyed the people. Think about this. The people you love the most with just your words. But here's the problem. Every one of us, we are excellent excuse makers. And so even though we go around and with our mouth we inflict incredible damage, you know what we say? We say things like, you know what, it wasn't really my fault. Or Mike, you don't really know the whole story. Or I didn't mean to. Or I was just mad. Or I was drinking. Or I was just being honest. Or I just inherited a temper. And so we burn down families and we burn down relationships and we burn down careers and we burn down reputations with just our words. And we get to this point in James chapter 3 and say, okay, James, guilty as charged. So what do we do? What do we do, James? Unfortunately, James doesn't give us three truths or four principles or four things to apply. Look at what he says in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Isn't that true? I just jotted down in my notes here. In my lifetime, Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. Anybody remember Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion? You got to be a little, okay. Mr. Ed, Shamu, Ren Tin Tin, Lassie, woo, 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 Tim. Come on, Tim's in the well. The dog was incredible. You can even train, I couldn't believe it, a cat. I saw it on America's Got Talent, and they're demon-possessed, and you can even train a cat, right? But look what James says. 
No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know what James says? When it comes to the tongue, humanly untamable. Humanly untamable. James says, there is no final solution to this problem. Every species of animal has been tamed. In other words, there's no animal that the human race is being threatened by. But unlike all of those animals that we can contain, we contain, we can control, the tongue is an animal that cannot be tamed. There is no final solution. There is no one, two, three. There is no ABC. James says it is a flamethrower, and guess what? Ain't a thing in the world you can do about it. And then he goes on, verse 9, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. James says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You show up at church, you lift your hands, you sing, you're king of my heart. You're never going to let me down. You're a good, good father. You're perfect in all your ways. And then we walk out in the parking lot, get in the car, and rip on our spouses, verbally abuse our kids. We go to work, we're negative, we're mean, we're passive aggressive. We get on I-40 and we curse at people who've been made in the image of God. James says it is completely unpredictable. It's out of control. There is no solution. It is humanly untamable. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? <clears throat> Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Every once in a while, it's just, it's good to go to another translation and read it. And the message did a great job with this. Let me just read it. This, I love how he says it in verse 7. He says, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongue, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friend, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? James says it's worse than you think. There's nothing like this in nature. In fact, the tongue can do what nature can't even do. An olive tree has to produce olives. An orange tree has to produce oranges. It doesn't have a choice. An apple tree has to produce apple. Freshwater springs, freshwater. Saltwater springs, saltwater. But James says you never know what's coming from the tongue. It is 100% completely unpredictable. And then James just stops. He just ends what he wants to say on this subject. And you know what? He goes on to the next subject. And I'm reading this. I'm like, whoa, James, don't stop now. Help me. What do I do? I am a human flamethrower. And I can't shut up. What do I do? But James just moves on to the next topic. By the way, let me tell you what's going on as we sit here. Not just here, but across our campuses. Maybe you're watching online. This is what's going on. Some of you men are sitting next to your wives. Do you know what she's doing? She's praying that you're listening because she sees a burn victim. And she's hoping I'm going to give an ABC or one, two, three application. She's hoping that I'm going to tell you what to do so she can get some relief. That's what she's thinking. Ladies, right now, some of your husbands are praying that you're listening because, quite honestly, you're killing him. 
He pulls into the driveway at the end of the day. He has no idea what he's going to face when he walks in the door. One day the orange tree's producing oranges. The next day it's producing lemons. The next day it's producing tomatoes. The next day it's producing Brussels sprouts. The next day it's producing cherries. The next day it's producing onions. And he never has any idea what's going to come out of your mouth. He's a burn victim. Smoke's rising up. Parents, your kids come home from school, they have no idea what to expect. Are you proud of them or are you mad at them? Did they do a good job? Did they do a bad job? It's a total, totally unpredictable environment. They are burn victims. And right now, they're hoping I have some kind of application that's going to change the dynamic of your home, the dynamic of your relationship. That's what we want from James. That's what we need from James. Does it give us any? He just changes subjects. This is what I think James is doing. I think James is doing what our driver's ed teachers used to do back when I was in school. I'm confident it's politically correct. You could never get away with it anymore because your parents are, you're raising, be honest with you, little snowflakes. And uh, by the way, you know what? It's not helicopter parents anymore. You know that? It's not that. You remember how parents used to hover? Kids, kids go off to college, parents are that. You know what they're calling you now? Lawnmower parents. Literally, you can, go, you can Google this. You want to mow down any obstacle in your children's way so they don't have to face any. I'm going to tell you something. I, this is another message, and I'm going to talk on this one day. We do an inordinate number of funerals at Hope Community Church for people who are way too young. I'm talking teenagers, early 20s, another 26-year-old this week. And I'm not saying it's always the reason, but this is what I think. I was talking to a counselor the other day, and we were discussing this topic. You know what I think a lot of the reason is? Because the way you're raising your parents and mowing down any obstacle so they never have to face any, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if there's a crisis or if there's a conflict or they fail at something, they have no idea how to handle it. So I would just file that away. Think about that. Just think about that as a parent. I'll talk about that sometimes, right? But in the old days in driver's ed, so you would go to class for weeks, right? Remember that? And then you had to drive for so many hours. And then before they let you go, they would show us these movies that were produced by the Highway Patrol. I went back and found some of them. Here was one, Appointment with Disaster. Look at that. Look, that's good. I mean, okay, here's one, Red Asphalt. Look at that. And that was so good. Look what they did. Sequel, Red Asphalt 2. I mean, it was that powerful, right? Right. Let me just raise your hand. Do you remember? Any of you remember watching these? these yeah, we watched these videos in Driver's Ed. The film is nothing more than a series of car accidents. And you would see bodies hanging out and parts of bodies on the side of the road. And, and the narrator would tell you, you know, what caused the accident. Hey, this person was speeding and they lost control. This person was drinking, you know, and, and they crossed the center line and they hit a semi head on. And this is where the head went through the windshield. And this is where the brain ended up. And this is where the arm ended up. And over here in the ditch, this is where the leg ended up. See, you have to now rent this stuff like on Netflix or Amazon. But see, in high school, you got it free if you took driver's ed. See, different times, right? But I still remember this stuff, and it's been 46 years. In fact, I was talking to some people this way. We were describing this. We can still remember these scenes. And I'll never forget when the movie was over, Mr. Bass, he was my driver's ed teacher at Hillside High School, 
flipped on the light and said, congratulations, you have now completed driver's ed. Good luck. And he gathered up his stuff, walked out of the room, and we sat there silenced and shocked, like what just happened? But do you know why they showed us the film? It was to plant deeply in our brains. Driving is a great thing. But with driving comes responsibility. And they showed us that movie saying, here's what could happen if you fail to take your responsibility as a driver seriously. And in this passage, I think that James has given us some information that we need to remember, we need to review, maybe even daily. And I think what he's saying is this. Communication is a great thing. It can steer your life into some wonderful experiences. Remember, it has the power of life. But don't ever forget, your words can be destructive. It also has the power of death. And I think James wants us to know that every moment of every day, we have the potential to do irreparable damage to anybody who happens to wander across our path. We have the ability to burn down a marriage. We have the ability to burn down relationships. We have the ability to burn down a business. We have the ability to burn down a church. In other words, we have unbelievable negative potential. And James says, don't forget, it's never going to go away. So every time you open your mouth, every time you pick up your phone, every time you start to text or sit down at the computer, James says, remember the potential of your words because not only do your words determine the course of your life, your words have the potential to wreak havoc in the lives of those around you, especially, especially those you love. So James says we need to live every single day understanding our negative potential. We need to own the consequences of the things we've said, the things we've done. And maybe the only point of application this weekend is this. Get ready to say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And get ready to say it a lot. A lot. You see, some of you men need to go home and say to your wife, I burnt you pretty bad. No excuses. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I mean, if you would just for once, man, if you would just for once take responsibility for the fire that you began in the relationship, if you would just do that, I'm telling you, it would release a dam of emotion in your life. And it would be a huge step forward into restoring that relationship to what God intended it to be and what you thought it was going to be when you got married. Some of you women are wicked with your words. And I'll just tell you, 37 years of counseling men and women, women, you far exceed the men in what comes out of your mouth. In fact, I've noticed on social media, the things that you say make me blush. See? And you excuse it by saying, well, it's just the way I am. You know? Or my mom was that way, I bet he was that way too. Or you know what, my husband's such a wimp, he ought to be able to take it. After all, he deserved it. And because of that, you know, you burned your husband. And, and you wonder why he's not rushing home from work every day. 
For some of you, when you get to work on Monday, you need to talk to a coworker. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's an employee. But you went way too far in a conversation, too far in a meeting. You burned down a relationship, a potential friendship. And you just need to walk in on Monday and take responsibility for what you said. Hey, let me just say something. As, as children, our words carry heavy weight with our parents. Hey, I raised teenagers. I'll never forget one time one of my kids got in trouble at school and they called me. And guess what? He was so angry at me that I believed the school. I'm old school. If the teacher said he did it, he did it. I don't really care what he says. He did it, right? Right? And he was so mad at me. This is what he said. You're the worst dad in the world. I remember getting in a bathtub in the fetal position and just sitting there. I mean, I just, oh, it just broke my heart. See, as kids, there's a tendency to have the attitude, well, you know, there are people and then there are my parents. It's different with my parents. And you talk to your parents like you would never talk to anyone. It's not any different. James says your words are fire. And if you've caused fire damage, the least you can do is say, hey, mom and dad, I am sorry. I'm responsible for the flamethrower in my mouth. And I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Maybe for you it's an ex-spouse and you've been a flamethrower with your children against your ex and your words have damaged not only their hearts but the souls of your children. I guess my question as I close, where are the fires in your life? The fires that you've started. And are you ready and willing to take responsibility? Are you willing to have that conversation, write the letter, make that call? Because I'm telling you, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Those are just words that have incredible healing power. And I know that our words can hurt and destroy. But I know that our words can bring incredible healing. Let me just close, close by asking you a question. What, what if we approached all of our relationships understanding the destructive potential of our words? Let me ask you a question. Would that change your home? Would that change where you work? Would it change things with your roommate? Now here's the question. If the tongue is humanly untamable, why even try? Well, next weekend, I've set you up a little bit. I want you to understand, James says, the tongue is humanly untamable. But next week, we're going to see, by God's grace and power, it is divinely tameable. Let me just read a little couple verses from Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. I was reminded of this this week. This is when Moses is having, having a showdown with God at the burning bush. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And next week I'm going to show you that, yeah, it's humanly untamable. In fact, it is God's job to tame the tongue, but it's our job to bridle the tongue. And we're going to see what that dance looks like. So make sure you're here next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And Father, every once in a while, this is just one of those sobering passages that for some reason we think, well, I'm just, I'm Italian. This is just the way we communicate. Or I'm this, or I'm that. Or yeah, I come from a long line of people with sharp tongues. And we just, we just forget the damage, the smoke that we're leaving in the wake of our lives. 
And right now, a lot of marriages, a lot of homes, a lot of employment situations could begin to find healing if the one who started the fire would just take the ownership. It would go a long way toward putting the fire out. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? God, this is my one prayer for us this weekend. Do not let us rest until we've come to terms with who it is that we've burnt with our flamethrower and until we make it right. Haunt us. Don't let us sleep. Stay under our skin and give us the courage to make it right. In your name we pray. Amen. Great. Awesome.